And so I, we would watch WWE and we would see what they would do and what brothers do and should do naturally if you have boys and they do this in the house. I want to let you know it's a good thing. We imitated it. And so I would get up on the armrest of the couch. My brother would be laying on all the pillow cushions that we took off the couch and on the floor. And we didn't know it was, we thought it was all real. So I would jump up and pile drive right into his chest and um, you know, we were just like, we're, I, we would be like, this hurts so bad. How do they do this every night on WWE? Uh, but we would do it, and we loved it. Um, we had our own outro music, and because I grew up in a Christian household, the majority of our outro music was Casting Crowns and Stephen Curtis Chapman, and real, real pump-up music, Walking Out to the Voice of Truth by Casting Crowns. But I did it. Um, and so, but we loved WWE. And then the day I wrecked my world, I found out the truth about WWE. It was a show. It was fake. None of it was real. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, I, I genuinely thought this whole thing, you know, like the, the cage, the pile drives, you know, getting 30 feet in the air to come down on somebody's neck could happen. Uh, but I found out it was all a show. And it ruined it for me. Absolutely ruined it for me. I was, I was done with it. I don't even watch it to this day. Once I found out it was fake, I was like, no, I really want to see somebody injured. I don't want to see a fake person injured, right? Like, I want to see the real deal. So I got into UFC. That's a different story for here or there, nor there. But uh, I, I loved WWE until I found out it was a show. So, Trey, what's the point of this story? All right, let me take it a step farther. I'm not stepping on your toes quite yet, but let me take it a step farther. Let's go to church world. There are a lot of churches that will do these crazy things that a lot of people have. I'm not talking about lights. I'm not talking about loud music or drums or whatever. Um, I have my own thoughts on that, and my thoughts on that are look like culture until it goes against Scripture. But I, uh, when it comes to some other things, like there are churches that, put on these, like there are some churches that, that release gold dust from the ceiling to give a glorification of a manifestation of the presence of God in the house. And so you have that, and then you have some other places um, where they, they do some other things where they get up there and they blow a shofar and they all yell, my brother works AVL, audio, video, video, and lights, and he works for a lot of companies that does a lot of different conferences and a lot of different places. And he was at this one conference, and he said, this church did a fire tunnel. I was like, I don't know what that is. Please explain it to me. He said, they had all the elders line up like this, just praying in tongues, and they had all the people walk through, and by the end of it, they would shove them down, and they were slain in the spear. It's called the fire tunnel. I was like, tell me you ran through it. He's like, no, I didn't, but it was awesome. <laughs> and uh, I was like, explain how it was. He was like, it was just like, there were some friends of ours who were at that conference that uh, were, do not believe in that stuff, and they ran through, and they pushed them, and they stood up, and they're like, why'd you push me? <laughs> and they're like, fall down in the spirit. They're like, no. Okay, well, then now we're stuck because it's weird. So just some examples like that where biblically, there is no proof that that should be how a church functions. But we attend these things and listen to these things hoping it could be true and wanting it to be true. 
All right, now, now here's the part where we start to step on some toes. All right, so let's take it a next step farther. People want these fantasies to be real, and sometimes we can't come to face with our own performance. And that's what sometimes this is, our faith is, right? Just like WWE, there's a reason that they still pack out thousands of people in an arena, right? Even though everybody knows it's fake. I'm talking about not, not kids, grown men weeping because John Cena lost the last cage match. And it's fake. There's a reason that churches that do these outlandish things, not say that we're better, but we do everything we can do according to Scripture, but these churches that do outlandish things have thousands of people in them. It's because there is a desired fantasy over what is actually reality. And we want fantasy to be real, right? Like I don't go into Spider-Man movies or Marvel movies expecting me to leave the theater and it actually is real. I go there to escape from current reality to have a laugh or to have just, you know, entertainment for two hours. Leaving knowing that there's a current reality and that's not it. But we want these fantasies to be real. And here's where we take it a next step farther. In our own lives, sometimes we act and talk in a way that we want to be on Sunday Maybe even it lingers on to Monday. But Tuesday through Friday, maybe even Saturday, we live and talk differently. And so while WWE is a show, and sometimes these churches that we walk into, they put on a show, I think if we're honest, what we don't like to admit is sometimes our own life is a show. And this is where we start to step on some toes, and again, I apologize in advance, no I don't, uh, that w- Sometimes our life can be a performance. And in Matthew, which is where we're going to be this morning, chapter 23, Jesus calls out the people that put on the show. The Pharisees, the people who pray out loud in the streets to impress people, the people who dress in beautiful clothes and look down upon the poor, the people who used religion as a weapon to rule and govern, the people who put on a show. There comes a moment where Jesus is preaching about salvation, he's preaching about the new heaven and the new earth, and about salvation is through him and him alone. And these Pharisees give some pushback, and he comes to this moment where he just is like, I'm calling it out. So Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 26, it says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You are blind, Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. There's a key word I want to focus on in that, in that whole, and if you read pretty much the start of that passage all the way to the end, it's hypocrites are you Pharisees. Pharisees, you're hypocrites. Pharisees, you're hypocrites for this reason. You're hypocrite for this reason. Hypocrite for this reason. And I could go on and on and on, but I wanted to focus on this single word. I just said it multiple times. Maybe you heard it. Hypocrite. Jesus looks at them and he says, you are a hypocrite. 
Now, hypocrite in our world has a really negative connotation. But in the original language, in Greek, when Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees, here's what he's saying. The word hypocrite back then was to be a critic of an actor. That's what you were, hippo, actor in the Greek. Critic, critique. You're a critique of an actor. You pass judgment on performances and the arts. And so here's what Jesus is saying. You are judging people based on their performance whenever you yourselves are performing. And who are you to judge? And so what he's saying is you are a religious actor to these hypocrites, to these Pharisees. Jesus was harsh on hypocrites, these religious actors. But that's what these WWB, WWB, WWE people are. They're actors. That's what a lot of these showy churches are. They're actors, maybe even with a good heart, but they're still performing. And that's what you and I can fall into when it comes to faith if we're not careful acting. And I, I want you to hear my heart on this. I am not one of those people. And in fact, this is the first time I've ever done this. But like, I am not one of those people that gets up here on a Sunday and calls out different churches and does whatever. But I think we've gotten to a point where there are so many different churches doing so many different types of things that if you walk into a church, it will have its own unique perspective on anything and everything. And next thing you know, the whole church doesn't even look like the church anymore. We have our different tribes and lanes. And we're not even on the same team anymore. We're all against each other. Brennan Manning says this, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. When Christians don't live like Jesus, the world becomes confused about what is truth and what is not. And this is why it is so important for us to not build our faith upon a person, upon a show, upon a personality, but upon something else. There are, and I can point out a couple different docu-series or whatever, but there's a lot of media out there talking about how this one pastor fell, and so the media is going to condemn this man, and then all of the evangelical world seems to be somewhat shaken up by it. Why? Because our faith was built on his personality and his character rather than the character of somebody else. When I was in uh, college, um, my youth pastor growing up um, had been there for 20 plus years at our church, um, had to step down due to a moral failure. And he shared his story before, so I know he doesn't mind me sharing it, but he had to step down to a moral failure. Now, there were a couple buddies of mine who grew up in that same church with me. Here's what it didn't do to me. It didn't shake my faith. It didn't make me want to leave church. In fact, I was in Bible college, and I was like, man, how can we help? What can we do? And still serving and still teaching. Another buddy of mine who didn't have his foundation on somebody else, or had his foundation on that person, was shaken up by it had long conversations with me where I tried to tell him otherwise, but he ended up leaving the church and is currently out of church. Now, I don't say that to give myself praises, but what's the difference between the two? One person stayed in church. The other person left the church because of one human's decision. Which leads me to my point, this. 
If you have lost faith in Jesus because of people, maybe your faith is in people when it should be in Jesus. If you have lost faith in Jesus and his teachings and his word because of people, then just maybe your faith was in people rather than Jesus. And when our faith is anchored in a hero of faith, rather than the hero of our faith, then we are building a foundation on sand rather than a rock. And when the show gets exposed, so does the shallowness of our faith. Let me say this really quickly. My prayer for you, truly my prayer for you, is that your faith is built upon nothing other than Jesus is God. He is. He is we have sort of a monotheistic God. There is no gods. There is one. His name is Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He died, paid for your sins. He rose and is alive today. He sits on the throne of heaven, redeeming all things unto himself, and one day he will return and make all things new. Start there as a foundation of faith. Start there. All these other side things we can talk about, sure, whatever. But make that the foundation of your faith. What do you believe? Well, my pastor says this. No, what do you believe? Like if, if, if push comes to shove, back against the wall, what do you believe? Well, my pastor said it like this one. No, you. What do you believe? I, I've seen this time and time. Being in youth ministry for six years, I'll, I'll say this as a side note, and then we'll dive into this. This is all freebie. Ready? Um, kids can forgive a lot. If you're a parent in here, kids can forgive a lot. They can show grace. They can forgive a lot. But you want to mess up your kid? Live a, live a duplistic lifestyle when it comes to faith. That is really hard to come back from as a child. They'll forgive the outlashes. They'll forgive the maybe one too many spankings. They'll forgive if you're inaccurate and hit the back of the thigh rather than the butt, right? They'll forgive maybe the yelling. They'll forgive all of that prayerfully and hopefully. And once they have kids, they'll for sure forgive you. <clears throat> but one thing that is almost impossible to come back from, it's not impossible, but it's really close, is when parents live and talk a certain way at church and around church people, and then the second they get in the car, it's a, you're a different person. That's hard to come back from. And I say this with all love, kindness, and grace in the world. That's the show. That's the show. And so what do we do? What do we do? There are four chairs I want to bring out that I think represent where we are today that I think Jesus was alluding to in this moment. I'll bring out the first two. I'll go grab the last two in just a second. But the first one is this. People sit in this chair, come to church, we interact with them. Maybe they come to church, maybe they don't. I don't know, but we interact with them. It's people who aren't Christians. People who aren't Christians, what does this mean for them? Like for how we carry ourselves as Christians, what does this mean for the non-believer? 
if you and I are going to live the show? What does this mean for them? If lost people see Christianity as a show, they see Christianity as a performance, they're going to want nothing to do with this. This is not world-changing. This is just behavior-modifying. This is not eternal transformation. This is just, again, behavior modification. And it's fake. And what they see is people pretending to be perfect and have all the answers. And what they see are actors. For if faith is built on performance, it has to be sustained by performance. And you and I do not have the strength to do so. Eventually, there will come a day where you break. You snap. And somebody's going to say, where's so-and-so? I haven't seen them at church in a while. Oh, they left. Why? Because their faith was built on performance. They got burnt out. They left. And everything about their world unraveled before them because the performance, they could not hang on to it or keep it up. And they see, they see the hypocrisy. Let me say it like this. The life-changing message of the gospel will lose its weight if there's no life change in us. True life change. You and I, as redeemed people of Jesus, are called to do two things. To look like him and to share his message. That's about it. Now, there are thousands of subcategories underneath those two things that we can break it down. But to look like him and to share his message. The sharing the message parts becomes incredibly difficult if the first part isn't true. And so, the reality is you and I come across people every single day who sit in this chair who have an eternal destination. And it's not heaven. Trey, I've brought a first-time guest today. This is really an encouraging message. I don't know why you're hitting on this right now. I want you to hear the gravity of this moment. Yes, we can have fun. Yes, there is joy in being a Christian, but I think sometimes we lose the severity and the, and the weight of what we actually do. These people, when they see a performance, will never leave this chair. Ever. And if you feel the weight of the people that you pass by every day knowing that they don't have the hope that you have, the peace, the joy that you have, that, and you know that if they, today were to be their last, their funeral will not be a celebration, but it would be a true mourning for they are forever separated from God now. That has to wreck you. It has to. And we don't need any more actors we don't need any more. And this chair alone has to convince us of that. that. When we talk about Jesus to people who know we're performers, they're going to be like, oh, why would I join your cult? There has to be true life change in us. Or else we're going to lose the weight of the gospel when we try to share it with those around us. People who don't know Jesus in this chair. I've lived for two months of my life in Togo, West Africa. 
where witchcraft and voodoo and demonic worship and the enemy's powers are so prevalent and visible there, I could go on for hours telling stories. But here's what I'll say about that. They do not care one bit of my theological knowledge. None. They don't care where I got my education. They don't care if I have a master's degree. They don't care about my expository preaching. They don't care um, the Greek and the Hebrew that I know. They don't care about my worldview. They don't care about any of that. They're not going, are you Baptist? Are you Presbyterian? Are you Pentecostal? Are you Assembly of God? They're not asking any of those questions. If I make a claim about Jesus, they say, prove it. What do you mean prove it? Tell me a story where you've seen it in your own life. Well, I don't have that story. They walk away. But it's in God's word. They don't care at all. Zero. If you make a claim, there needs to be proof. And let me tell you this. Right? Well, I wish Jesus would just show up and I wish he would walk the earth. You're the walking image bearers of him. You're the proof. And so if you claim God is a healer, to a person who's walking through some things and has some emotional baggage in their life. What, what has he done in your life? Well, I haven't led him to the deepest crevices and hurts in my life because I don't want to go there. You're a performer. And I say that lovingly, as, as lovingly as I can. But there has to be life change within you. So this is chair number one, people who, don't, people who aren't Christians. Chair number two, People who claim they are Christians but aren't really Christians. That happens? Yeah, it happens. Titus 1.16 says this. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. That's old school religious language. I didn't write it. No American pastor said it. Shout out to Paul. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. I'm glad you're here in this room this morning, but that doesn't make you a Christian. I'm glad you have solid morals. That doesn't make you a Christian. I'm glad that you do the right thing. That doesn't make you a Christian. Following Jesus does. So, Trey, but I believe in Jesus, but since I've believed in Jesus, my life hasn't looked any different. Who am I to judge? But I would come to the conclusion of maybe you aren't following Jesus. For to follow Jesus means to leave something and to follow something else. And there are people who claim that they are Christians, evangelicals, that say they are Christians, but in reality, they are not, and they're performers. And again, it goes, this chair will never move if we are also sitting in this chair. We don't need any more performers. We need followers of Jesus. Trey, this is tough love. It is tough love. In the book of Matthew, Jesus also says, if anybody wants to be my disciple, they must leave all they have and follow me. No, nope, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work. 
I, uh, I need my vices. I, uh, I need my comfort. I need this. I need that. Actually, Jesus is calling you to give that up. Nope, can't do it. Maybe you're not a disciple. How dare he say that? Chair number three. How about this one? Those who are Christians but are not maturing. Those who are Christians but are just not maturing. Hebrews 5, 13 through 14 says this. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by a constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I have a two-year-old and an eight-month-old. My eight-month-old is not getting chicken tenders and french fries at the table for he will choke and die. He is getting milk, and right now he is getting teethers that dissolve in his mouth. My two-year-old is off of milk. Thank God. That formula bill was a lot. He is now eating meat. He is now eating carbs. He is now eating like a man. <laughs> he, and he needs it. He needs to grow. And if we stayed on the same diet he had when he was a two-month-old, he would be severely malnourished, and there would be some serious problems with him. He's growing, and as he's growing, he's eating more. He's doing more. He's more active. He has more energy to burn. He's growing this, this is a small picture of what Paul says in Hebrews of the Christian life. Of If you just accepted Jesus last week, there is zero expectation from me for you to lead a small group and to be a leader in our church. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you accepted Jesus. And my prayer is that we can help you take that next step of what that looks like. But if you are crawling as a new believer, good for you. I, no, no honestly happy for you. If you've been following Jesus for 30 years, truly following Jesus, and I pray I'm not stepping too hard on anybody's toes, and all you do is attend and leave, you are still crawling spiritually. And I say that with love. But there's got to come a point where you start to stand and walk and when you, do, when you begin to walk, here's what the Father notices. You can handle more. When Cade started to walk and run, I gave him more freedom because he could do more things. When Cade began to walk and run, we gave him more responsibility because he could handle some more things. If, you, if I were to give Cade a 30-year-old or 30-year mortgage at the age of two years old, I am destroying him for life. But when he gets out of college and gets his own family and decides to buy a home, at that point in life and in that stage of development, he can handle it. But if I looked at Cade when he's 30, has kids, a wife, and all of these things, and I'm paying for everything... You know, 
And I'm still telling them, hey, but, but be careful. We have child locks on all the doors. Why, for my kids? No, for you. There's a problem. And I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give him more. But if Kate is 30 years old and is still crawling on my floors, I'm like, son, you need help. And my prayer for you is that if you've been following Jesus for a long time and you can take self-inventory and say, I think I've been crawling for a while. Here's what God the Father is not going to do. He's not a judger, meaning he's not a condemner. If you say, man, I really need to stand up and start walking in my faith. God is not up in heaven going, oh, about time. He views you as his child. And he goes, hey, good job, good first steps. Good job. I'm really proud of you. When my son Maverick, who's an eighth month old, will begin to start walking and he falls for the first time, I'm not going to be like, well, there goes our D1 career. I'm going to encourage him. I'm going to applaud him. That's what the father does. He's like, good job. I'm proud of you. Taking that next step in maturity. On fourth, fourth chair. How about this? Christians who have grown are still growing but continue to mess up. Trey, is there a fifth chair where a Christian is perfect? Absolutely not. We're done. This is where I want to find myself. Trey, but that, that doesn't sound sexy or, or beautiful or anything like that. I'm a Christian, I've grown, I'm still growing, but yet I'm still mess up? Yeah. Absolutely. The fifth chair is where the Pharisees sit the elitist performers. And I don't want anybody to go there, so we're not even going to go there. We're stopping here. That we are Christians who are growing, followers of Jesus. We're, we've, we've grown. You've grown. You're still growing, but yet you're still going to mess up. Now, this, that does not make you a hypocrite. For it doesn't matter how long you follow Jesus, you are still vulnerable to sin. Our response to our shortcomings is what makes us a hypocrite or not. Here's a response that hypocrites don't make. When we fall short, we don't blame our circumstances. I was tired, so I made a stupid mistake. But I blame it on the exhaustion. I was in a real bind, so I did this. I had no other option but to sin. Okay, that's hypocritical but it's the person that owns the mistake and doesn't blame anything other than their own depravity that where you no longer are a hypocrite. Or how about this one? When someone else falls short, we don't blame their character. What? When someone else falls short, we don't go, could have told you that was happening. Saw that from a mile away. I can't believe that person, blah, 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 blah. We don't blame their character. There was, a, there was one time I was sitting at a dinner table and this individual was going off about a person who made certain mistakes in their life and just going on about how I don't understand how they could do this. I don't understand how they get to this point. How do they do that? How do they do this? And here I am sitting at the table knowing good and well I have secrets in my own life and I have done the very thing that they are condemning right now at the dinner table. 
And so what they don't know, what they think is happening is they're just berating and condemning that person. What they don't know is I am also feeling that in my own soul. Because I'm like, I'm them. And you are judging hard on me, whether you realize it or not. And so here's what we don't do. We don't blame somebody's character for their sin. Unless we get caught in the same thing. For we are all broken in need of forgiveness. What does Jesus think of all of this? Psalms 103 verse 14, it says this, For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. He knows our frame, a different translation. He says he knows our sin, and he remembers that we are dust without him. For we are nothing without him. So, Jesus follower, let's not get all high and mighty when we've had a good week. Nor let us get, be completely deprived of hope and confidence during bad weeks. For we have an unshakable hope in Jesus. Not people, Jesus. For church is not a show. Christianity is not a show. It's not a performance. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in the, the conversation of wear your Sunday best. Do your Sunday best. And I'm fine with it until it starts to frame and shape your theology. Because at the end of the day, you and I are just broken people. Following Jesus, a perfect Savior. I am just Trey Warren, a boy who grew up on the west side of Jacksonville. Shout out Duval County. In a lower middle class family, a pastor's kid who has a testimony of somebody who ran far and hard away from the things of God, who eventually became persuaded and convinced of his love because of his gracious pursuit of my soul. And now I just tell people about him and counsel people, not by my own insight or own wisdom or own experience, but with the words and wisdom of one who is far beyond me, wiser than me, and greater than me, Jesus Christ. And this has always been about Jesus before me. This is all about Jesus while I'm here and will all be about Jesus long after I'm gone. And if you and I have trouble moving forward in our faith because of what other people have done, say, then maybe our faith was in people when it should have been in Jesus. And Jesus has zero tolerance for the show, but has unlimited grace for the sinner that is desperate for grace, forgiveness, and help. Trey, why was this message a little harsh? (laughs) That's how it felt, right? I, I feel it teaching it. There are days where I come home to Lauren, I'm like, was I too hard? She was like, no, you could have been you could like you could have just gone even like harder. And I was like, oh thanks, babe. I'm like, so I didn't do a good job, is what you're saying. She's like, Trey, shut up. I'm like, okay. <laughs> My prayer, and like Pastor Lee said, if you're new here, we are in a season of transition where the, truly this is my last message to you guys before we leave. Next week's going to look a little different. It'll be a hodgepodge of a service, and I pray you're there. But if I could say anything to you guys in the last true full message here, it is this. Take Jesus seriously. Take him seriously. His words are there for a reason. And not just the feel-good ones. 
but the convicting ones. The ones that make you do an, an inspection on your own soul where you're like, is my life lining up with this word? It's not, oh, God's word is wrong. No, it's I'm in the wrong. And how do I align my life with this? And my prayer for you, for our church, for the church, is that there are no more actors or performances. There are just real deal Jesus followers who boast in their shortcomings, but boast even more in their Savior. That we don't walk into a church where it's like everybody's dolled up and perfect. I've been in churches like that where people haven't shown up because they said they had a bad week and they just didn't want people to see them like that. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is the perfect place for you. We're all jacked up, messed up from the floor up. But Jesus is good. He is great and he is perfect. He is amazing. He is everything you could hope for in a hero and more. And this is his story. And we have the privilege to be a part of it. The best thing you can do for your spouse, the best thing you can do for your kids, the best thing you can do for your, uh, your job, your, the employees around you, the best thing you can do for your community, the best thing you can do for your friends, the best thing you can do for yourself is to not take Jesus lightly, but to take him seriously and to pursue him with everything you have. That's the best thing you can do, to sit in this chair. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm a Jesus follower. I've grown. I've seen how God has moved in my life. I have story after story after story. But I'm still messed up. I still need him. It's a great place to be, and that's my prayer for each and every single one of you. Because that is the only way 10 years from now that you're going to be following him with zeal, with passion, and with energy. Any other chair, you're going to be exhausted and I don't know if you're going to be in church anymore. But it's in this chair where you will find grace. It's in this chair you're going to find forgiveness. You're going to find help. It's in this chair you're going to find healing. It's in this chair where you're going to find generational sin, where maybe your parents weren't the best when it came to spiritual things. In this chair, your kids are going to have a different story for their dad, for their mom. It's in this chair. So that's where I pray you find yourself this morning. And if you don't, I'd love to talk to you about how to get there. Let me pray for you. God, I love you and I'm thankful for you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. God, as we talk about serious things, God, I think sometimes in our world we don't like the serious because the serious is heavy and we just like the funny and the aloof and just to enjoy life. And the best version of ourselves is found in taking you seriously. And so, God, I pray for the people in here that are seeking help, that are trying to navigate this way in life, that they would turn to your word first and foremost, that they would find themselves growing, not void of mistakes or sin, but knowing how to deal with it once it comes. I gotta pray for them. Gotta pray for the people in the room that don't know you, that maybe have been turned off by church because of performances, by because of people's mistakes, by hypocrisy, because of actors. God, I pray for them, that they would see the reality of we're just broken people who claim a perfect Savior, and that's about it. Um, and that, God, they would realize their depravity, 
and their need for you. And that eternity is too long to be wrong and that they are destined for a place called hell and there is an option to not go there. It's through you. God, I pray for them. And I pray for everybody in between who's navigating this life. You would lead them by your spirit, speak to them through your spirit and your word. And that, God, they would find maturity for their souls. That, God, they would experience healing in the deepest parts of their hurts. And that, God, 10 years from now, they wouldn't even recognize themselves in a good way because of the steps they have taken in obedience. God, I pray for blessing and favor over them, over everybody here. In Jesus' name, amen.